G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. The dark secrets of Australia's colonial history, including the massacre of Indigenous Australians and the church's role in providing safe havens. You'll be able to contribute to our conversation this hour. You may also be aware there is a push for a referendum to recognise Aboriginal people in the Australian Constitution. Well, both sides of politics are continuing to meet with Indigenous leaders to discuss the best form of wording for a referendum question. Today, though, looking at the dark history of white Australians' treatment of Aboriginal people and asking the question of what the church was doing in response to atrocities that were committed against Aborigines. Dr John Harris is our guest this hour. He's the author of a what is described as a brutally honest book about Christians and Aborigines in Australia. His book called One Blood covers 200 years of history of Aboriginal encounters with Christianity. We'll talk about some of that dark history. Let's meet our guest, Dr. John Harris. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much. Good to be here, Neil. John, last time we were talking, we were discussing a role that you have with the Bible Society as curator of this wonderful collection of Bibles. And uh, you've got some military Bibles that are touring around Australia, finding their way into some major shopping centres in major centres around the nation. Uh, this is one of your important roles, uh, looking after all these Bibles. Uh, how's that? Uh, how's that whole thing uh, unfolding? Is the uh, the tour going well? Yes, the tour is going very well, Neil. I mean, it's here in Canberra at the moment, actually, and I've sort of been on duty at it a few times. But it's been very, very well received, and um, people are, who've come have been very grateful, not just to the Bible Society, but grateful to Westfield Shopping Centres. And, I, you know, if I'm allowed to give them a plug, I think it's a great thing that they've allowed us to use their shopping centres as a venue throughout Australia. And, and the, so the, Sorry, they're in Canberra at the moment, and I think next they'll be in Brisbane and then Melbourne and uh, Perth and so on. They're travelling all around Australia this year. Uh, one of the joys of the responsibilities, I guess, that you have uh, to be able to look after these sorts of tours and uh, and make sure that the history is in place so that people get a, an appreciation of the Bible in Australia's history. But you are an historian. Is that the way you describe yourself, an historian? Well, I suppose if you're talking about my interest in uh, history, I'm at that point an historian. I'm more a linguist than a historian, but my work with Aboriginal people and Aboriginal linguistics and Bible translation led me to see the history of Aboriginal people in a different kind of light and the dark history, I might say, of their treatment. So, yes, it has become a kind of enthusiasm of mine to, to, to make Australian Christians aware 
of what happened to Aboriginal people and what was the church's response, both good and bad. And John, you spent decades uh, poring over uh, documents and diaries and historical records, uh, putting together the stories that you included in One Blood. Uh, That's That's the book you've written. And also, uh, of course, uh, one-on-one conversations with people who have direct uh, association or descendants who were a part of some of the atrocities committed against Aboriginal people. Well, that's true. I mean, when I used to talk or just write more casually, if you like, about atrocities committed against Aboriginal people and so on, I was accused of exaggeration or of um, selective quotation and other kinds of things by people who didn't want to believe that things were as bad as they were which was one of the reasons why I wrote One Blood. I didn't know One Blood was going to have the effect uh, that it did, uh, but that's in God's you know, way of <laughs> um, doing things that I wasn't aware of. But I wanted to make sure that everything that I said was supported by documentation so that it wasn't John Harris raving on. And as I said somewhere in it, um, there was no need for me to exaggerate history itself is shocking enough. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about the dark history or a secret history, things that have been hidden, and my understanding there's a lot of records of some of these atrocities committed against Aboriginal people that were, uh, that were uh, conveniently lost, uh, that were taken out of uh, the public record so that they could never be recognised. Is that what you came across in some of your research? Uh, that's correct. Um, I mean, if I might say something just about the extent of death before I come come to that, because yeah, sure. it's, uh, it, it connects with, with the answer to your question. Um, estimates of the number of Aboriginal people in Australia before white invasion or white settlement or whatever word you want to choose to describe the uh, coming of the white race, um, estimates range from about... 300,000 Aboriginal people at the low end to about a million or a bit more at the higher end. And I don't really care which was which. The 300,000 figure is one that people like to use if they want to minimise the death of Aboriginal people. Uh, But the truth is that in the Australian census of 1920, there were 58,000 Aboriginal people in the whole of Australia. Mm. And that's a census figure. So if if people who want to minimise the death of Aborigines want to say, well, there was only 300,000 at the beginning, so that's an only an 80% decline, well, I don't think it matters terribly much to me whether it's an 80% decline or a 90% or a 98% decline. It is tragic. And it is awful. When we think of the history, it would be certainly such a shallow uh, way to think of things that from 1788, when that first fleet arrived, uh, that there was a friendly, accommodating relationship between uh, white white, uh, Australians and Indigenous Australians just was not the case uh, because there was something of a superiority complex, would you call that, uh, with white Australians who came onto the shores of Australia and felt that they were superior to the Aboriginals? Well, that that is true, that they thought themselves superior, but there are certainly many genuine attempts 
uh, even by people like Arthur Phillip, for example, to befriend Aboriginal people as individuals. And so the the story of the earliest um, settlement of Australia by white people or by European people, you know, is really one of individual activity. There were there were deaths of Aboriginal people, as indeed there were deaths of white people, but that was a, a single Aboriginal person, a single white person. Um, the what you were talking about earlier, the, the the massacres, the killing of Aboriginal people in large numbers, did not happen until pastoral industries started to extend to the north and west. I want to answer your earlier question about whether this was hidden. Um, I'll just give you some exact quotes from anthropologists Spencer and Gillen, who uh, did a lot of work in Central Australia. Quote, It is best to draw the veil over the past history of the relationship between the blackfellow and the white man. Um, Stokes uh, wrote in 1846 we regret that the facts of Australia's colonisation must reach the eyes of posterity Uh, Dr Ferrara in 1903 worried that quote details of frontier violence in the North West if they get to the public ear might affect West Australia's reputation abroad Uh, Knight, in 1895, refused to elaborate on the terrible Kilcoy poisoning in Queensland, where, I might say, hundreds of Aboriginal people were killed by putting arsenic in food. He said, this should not be made public because it will harm the honour of the white race. So I just just thought it was worth saying those things because uh, people don't necessarily believe that there was an effort to hide, but there was a very, very concerted effort to hide what happened well atrocities those are the things that authorities don't want to come to light uh, because their own history then would be uh, recorded in a bad light Uh, so when we think of the history of australia what historians have written about uh, white australian settlement uh, how accurate is what is being what has been recorded? Do you think, John? Is uh, when we when we read a, a history of Australia, uh, I mean, are we missing out on something because there was a whole lot of records that were were hidden from public view? I think that people my age missed out on it. Um, I certainly know that um, books that I would have studied. I mean, I'm 75, and books that I studied in school in say the late the 40s or the late you know the early 50s. Uh, the history that I was taught ignored all of that um, in accordance with those sort of phrases that I was reading from academics who thought that it was best just left uh, to the dust of history. But of course, during my lifetime, there's been a huge awareness of all of these things. And I certainly don't believe that my grandchildren who are in high school today are receiving anywhere near as distorted a history as I received. And so I'm glad about that, and I hope it leads to a greater understanding of the past and therefore a greater understanding of the tragic situation in which Aboriginal people find themselves and find themselves uh, unable to, in, in a sense, extricate themselves from it. 
John, as Indigenous people are compiling their own histories of Australia, and uh, no doubt uh, there'll be those who will look at the records that you've provided there, uh, I guess there's going to be uh, other histories too, and, and some of those might even be exaggerated for political means. Is that something that, that you, when you're looking at history as a person who is something of an historian, that these sorts of things, when they're rewritten by various groups, uh, they have particular biases? Well, I come back to what I said right um, at the beginning, Neil, uh, which is I find that history is stark and awful enough without having to exaggerate. I mean, I suppose one could say there's a kind of ironic fairness in the fact that um, if the mistreatment of Aboriginal people was minimised for political purposes for so long, it doesn't hurt to have some kind of balance. But the truth is, we don't need to exaggerate. Um, anybody who's read my writings, anybody who's read One Blood will know that there is no need to exaggerate. Um, the What was happening to Aboriginal people is well, well documented. Well, inviting our listeners, John, to be part of our conversation today and in whatever form that might be, you can help to set the agenda for the conversation in some respects. What are your thoughts on Australia's treatment of Aborigines? Uh, we'd love to hear from you, particularly if uh, listening in, in any of the Indigenous communities uh, where Vision is reaching out right around Australia. Perhaps you know some history that you might like to contribute to our conversation today. And uh, the other thing, of course, is how does your faith inform your views of our ongoing reconciliation uh, with Indigenous Australians. Our talkback line is 1-800-316-316, an important and confronting and shocking conversation ahead of us today here on 2020. You can be a part of it, 1-800-316-316. would love to hear from you. Dr John Harris, our guest, he's the author of the book called One Blood, 200 Years of Aboriginal Encounters with Christianity. John, as we talk about these atrocities, these dreadful things that white Australians in inflicted upon Indigenous Australians. Uh, there's a number of different ways that you can reflect on those things. Uh, you've talked about things like aggression, uh, disease and sexual abuse. Uh, one of the earliest uh, accusations, of course, against the white man who came to Australia is that they brought diseases with them, diseases like smallpox uh, and, uh, and sexually transmitted diseases. You've got some views on those things. Well, certainly a lot of Aboriginal people died of um, European diseases, um, including uh, even chickenpox and so on and influenza. Um, as we know today, a foreign strain of influenza arrives and a lot of people can die of it. But of course, Aboriginal people were totally um, genetically unprepared for those European diseases. But what I think that the community does not understand sufficiently is the contribution to the immense death of Aboriginal people that was made by sexual abuse. I refer to actual sexual abuse in which Aboriginal women were killed. Uh, I refer to venereal disease, um, which uh, killed huge numbers of Aboriginal people, and both they and white people at the time knew that these um, were European diseases but also the failure of Aboriginal people to be able to reproduce because of the awful abuse of Aboriginal people. Now, I'm going to read you a statistic here. 
And I think if there's one thing, one statistic, one fact in the whole of Australia that starkly tells this story, and if your listeners want to remember one thing that cannot be argued about, which almost tells the whole story in three or four words, it is this, that in the Lake Macquarie district, where missionary Lancelot Threlkeld was, he spoke of thousands of Aboriginal people. And he wrote, thousands have been reduced to hundreds, hundreds have been reduced to tens. And he spoke about physical aggression, sexual abuse and European diseases. But we have a statistic, an official statistic. So the, the census from Lake Macquarie District in 1837, and remember that 20 years earlier, Threlkeld had said there were thousands of people. The return from Lake Macquarie, that's present-day Newcastle, was this. 28 men, two women, two boys, no girls. It's... That, it's hard for me to say it. It is. Terrifying. It is. Where are the girls? And no girls lost at the hands of sexual predators. That's right. I did say this was going to be a shocking conversation today, and and, uh, and we're going to continue our conversation. And uh, listeners might like to contribute to this conversation. Uh, you might have your own. Uh, stories, uh, background, uh, legends, uh, stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, happy to hear from you today or even just have your thoughts. Uh, if you wanted to stand in, in some sense, uh, solidarity with uh, Aboriginal people who might be tuned into our conversation today, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 John, before we go to a break, I don't want to uh, leave us without an appreciation of what Christians and churches might have been doing while these atrocities were being committed against Aboriginal people in Australia. Uh, you've focused a little on that because your book is all about this uh, encounter with Christianity that Aboriginals have had over those hundreds of years. What was the church doing while these things were going on? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Neil, because... Uh, uh in early Australia, it's pretty hard to talk about the church when you've only got kind of a handful of clergy uh, and so on. But what we have to say about those early Christian clergy is that while they might have all been tarred by the brush of, you know, uh, European superiority, we've got a, a better culture, you know, than Aboriginal people, etc., etc., we've got to change them to be like us. These clergy were appalled at the killing of Aboriginal people because they knew that Aboriginal people were human beings and therefore were created in the image of God. And in every denomination of which there was a church and a clergyman in Sydney in the early years of the early 1800s, in every church this was forcefully spoken about from the pulpit and written about. Um, church of England clergyman Robert Cartwright in Sydney. Aborigines have with myself and other men one common ancestor. I am therefore willing to call them my brothers and to acknowledge them entitled to my compassion and respect. In the sight of the Creator, 
their souls, I believe, to be of infinite importance. I think the one who put it best of um, all of those people was Catholic Archbishop John Mead Polding. And I know after the break we might come back to the Mile Creek Massacre and the men who are hung for uh, the massacre of Aboriginals at, at Mile Creek. But what a lot of people don't realise in reading the re- writings of Archbishop John Polding is that they were Irish convicts, they were Catholics, and he heard their confessions. So he knew, even more than the courts did, what had happened. And this is Archbishop Polding's writing. Many of our colonists have, in justification of great crime, striven to believe that these black men are not of our race, are not our fellow creatures. We Catholics know assuredly how false this is. We know that one soul of theirs is exactly the same as one of our own, of more worth than the whole material world, that any human soul is of more worth as it has been purchased at greater cost than the whole matter of this earth. Well, we'll continue, we'll continue this conversation in just a few moments. You can be a part of this conversation. You might have a question or a comment. 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Talking through the dark secrets of Australia's colonial history including the massacre of Indigenous Australians and the Church's role in providing safe havens. Back with more, our special guest, Dr John Harris. Talking through dark secrets of Australia's colonial history this hour, talking about uh, the relationship between white Australians and Aboriginal Australians since 1788, when the first fleet arrived on our shores. Our special guest this hour is Dr John Harris, author and historian. He wrote the book called One Blood, 200 Years of Aboriginal Encounters with Christianity. We are taking your calls, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join into our conversation today. Let's hear from Jackie in Alice Springs. Hello, Jackie. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, how are you going? Good, Jackie. What are your thoughts on what we're talking about this hour? Um, I just wanted to yeah, make a, a comment and also a word of thanks to John. Um, as I've, I've moved up to Alice Springs this year to be a, a doctor at the hospital, um, and part of the reason for that was wanting to work with Indigenous people, and I've read One Blood, um, or the majority of it, before I came. It's quite a large book, if anyone's not read it. Um, and part of the reason that was recommended to me was I, I've gone... like I'm. 24 years old, so my schooling, um, I did actually study different things about the atrocities committed against Indigenous people, but I never really knew where the church was in all of that. So I'm just so thankful that um, this book was able to to collate, you know, that the church did have a presence and a role. Um, and a few things that have stuck with me and have been really helpful as I've worked up here and um, been involved in a bit in Indigenous ministry um, is how some of the, the early churches um, when and the early missionaries when they came up here would often look to um, the Aboriginal people if they took on Western ideals or um, started adopting colonial practices that that was sometimes seen as um, true faith or rather than um, looking for for 
conviction and belief in Jesus Christ as the as an as the the acceptance of faith, and that's really stuck with me. So um, when I when I do minister to people and things like that, I'm not looking for them to necessarily change out of their um, traditions, or, but to to take on a new identity with Christ rather than to take on a Western identity. So, Jackie, let's yeah. hear some thoughts from John Harris. John, I guess you'd be thrilled that Jackie's read your book and uh, it's it making a difference in the lives of people today in Alice Springs. Hello, Jackie, and thank you for your really kind words. As you said, it's a big book, and I'm always glad to hear that someone actually read it. Um, <laughs> no, but that that's that, and I'm glad it was helpful to you, and that's wonderful. Um, yes, and you hit. Uh, on a very important issue uh, and, and among the failures of the church, I mean there were, the, there were the good things the church did but among the failures of the church you've, you've nailed one of them one of them was not, to, not letting Aboriginal people accept the gospel and make their own decisions about what things in the, their culture the gospel could approve of and what things in their culture the gospel might challenge. We allow ourselves that liberty. We, I'm here, we, I'm talking as we, a white person, if you like. Um, we think that we can challenge our culture. We think we can say this is good, this is bad, according to our Christian belief, but we never allowed Aboriginal people to make that decision, and that's a sad thing. But thank you, thank you, uh, Jackie, for, for n- noticing that. Thank you very much. Jackie from Alice Springs, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. An important conversation, a shocking conversation that you can be a part of. You might have a contribution to make. 1-800-316-316 is our number. Our talkback line open. Dr John Harris, our guest. Let's take another call from Ruth in Queensland. Hello, Ruth. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Ruth, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Yes, um, I just think, you know, there's, um, like, I do have quite a few Indigenous friends and um, friends, um, and I did grow up around some Indigenous people when I was younger, and I do know some of them that are Christian. And, for instance, I'm just saying that, like, one of my best friends was from Redfern and her mother and her children, and they had blue eyes, and I've never ever questioned, never asked about it. And then the grandmother finally opened up to me one day. Very, she, That was a big thing for her to confide in me. And um, I found out that she said the reason she's got blue eyes, I've never ever asked them or anything, but was that her grandmother, who I can't remember how many years old she would have been, but that she was um, in some sort of put in, placed in some sort of, um, care thing under the Anglican Church or something, and that she was she said she was raped by the Anglican priest, her grandmother. But that was a well kept, under the covers sort of secret, horrible thing that nobody talked about. But that's why they had blue eyes. Mm-hmm. But you could see they were clearly Aboriginal, and I believe there's a lot of stories like that. And I, well, and there's another thing about people that maybe mix blood aboriginals and i think what happened is um years ago i know some stolen generation people and um you know that they were taken from the families probably put in the white homes probably sort of so they thought they were going to be better raised and things like that um or whatever the people of the power at that time thought 
And um, I think that um, to try and probably, you know, make them civilised, so to speak, which they've done to all the Indigenous... Like, look, look what they did to the American Indians. And Ruth, very let's get some thoughts people. on these things that you're sharing yeah. from John Harris. John, uh, even the church's history is checkered in some ways. Yes, that's mm. true. Um, thank you. Thank you, Ruth, and... Um, Thank you for having the courage to um, tell that story because um, it's real stories like the one that you tell that, that people remember, not just my words. Um, yes, I have to say that it is true that the abuse of Aboriginal people um, didn't have borders in society. Um, I, I don't believe that there was as much abuse that went on in the... Um, Christian homes as as in some others but some people may correct me in that but I do know that yes there were there were clergy who committed the grave sin of that sort of abuse of of young uh, children um, I do know that huge numbers of others in this community who ought to have our respect and we're talking here about uh, owners of pastoral properties we're talking about the police uh, we're talking about all manner of people and not just convicts, which is what the early settlers wanted to say, that was just those sort of bad people. Across every strata of society, there was abuse of Aboriginal people. And Ruth, the other thing I want to say, and you hit this nail on the head too, a lot of people don't want to grant Aboriginal status to blue-eyed Aboriginal people. And they think, oh, well, they're really white. But of course they're not, because if you go back to how that child gained her blue eyes, she will not have any love of white people through her white father because he not only did, did he um, father her in an abusive way, he would not have taken responsibility for her. So there are all these children born to relationships often violent relationships between white men and Aboriginal people and the Aboriginal women were the ones who raised the part Aboriginal children. But why would they think of themselves as being part white when there's no reason for them to love the white people who ignored them? So they still considered themselves quite rightly to be Aboriginal because their loyalty went through their Aboriginal mothers and grandmothers. But thank Ruth, you, Ruth. Thank you. Ruth from Queensland, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Let's take another call. Uh, Ray is in Chinchilla in Queensland. Hello, Ray. Welcome along to 2020. Thanks, uh, Neil. Ray, what are your thoughts on our discussion? Give John Harris my regards. My wife and I were missionaries on Anuraku Groot Island from 60 to 66 where John Harrison and his mum and dad used to be missionaries. He was a, a young fellow there in those days. I met up again with him in Mittagong, New South Wales, and when we lived there, he was a teacher, so was my wife. So we knew him. He went to the Anglican Church where we did, and he could give him my greetings. And the thing is, we all belonged to the Church Missionary Society, and uh, in nine, I read John. We read John Harris's book, the Church Missionary Society, uh, or the Church Mission. Anyway, Church Missionary Society went to Roper River in 1908 after massacres, and 200 people, poor, fearful people, uh, 
came to that mission and they recognized the Aborigines were there to help them and love them and so they'd be saved and uh, uh, to take these poor people in. And since then, there's been four or five missions in the north and a depot in Darwin. Give John Harris our love and regards if he still remembers. Ray and Sylvia Johnson. Well, John Harris is on the line. He can hear every word you're saying, Ray. John, oh, your thoughts. John. Well, good day, good day, Ray. That's a bit of a blast from the past. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're still uh, alive and kicking. And you give still my... remember us? Oh, of course I do. We used to go to St Stephen's Mitigol together. That's right. Well, we're well, living in Chinchilla, Queensland now. Right. Well, and the book you're trying to think of is We Wish We'd Done More. out of it, if you, I'm sorry, <laughs> and right. I'll put in my autobiography. Well, you let us know when you've written one, Ray. I've written, I've written, I've written my own autobiography. Ray, you should send me a copy. Well, I'd love to. <laughs> it sounds like if... John Oswald Sanders wrote it, or uh, John Howes. I've called it Jesus Christ, my Lord, with and within. Well, Ray, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020, and uh, great to be a connecting point there. Uh, old friends there, John Harris. Uh, John, let me just move on before we take some more calls. And just to say, listeners, our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation today. Your thoughts on Australia's treatment of Aborigines. Uh, would love to hear from people who are in Indigenous communities around Australia. You might have your own history. You might have a reflection of someone's uh, someone's uh, reflection from their generations gone by of some of these things we're talking about today and also how your faith might inform your views of the ongoing reconciliation with Indigenous Australians 1-800-316-316 John, time skipping away on us I don't want to miss this conversation about the massacres of Australian Aborigines uh, you mentioned a little earlier that once the pastoral growth of the you know, the sheep industry began to grow, uh, that was a, a, something of a trigger for a lot of massacres around Australia. Well, it was indeed, and, uh, and that's why in that quote I read earlier from Archbishop Polding that he said that Aboriginal people were worth more than all the cattle on the Bathurst Plains because he was talking about the pastoralists who valued their cattle higher than the life of Aboriginal people. Now, we will never know how many massacres there were or how many Aboriginal people. We cannot ever really know. We just know the starkness of the figures I quoted at the early, early in the program, 58,000 Aboriginal people in the census of 1920, and something, you know, 500,000 or however many uh, when white people came. But in nineteen thirty, in eighteen sorry, in eighteen thirty-eight, seven seven white men were brought to trial for the massacre of twenty-eight black uh, men, women, and children at Henry Dangar's Mile Creek Station in the New England uh, region. There's a monument there near Baraba today about that. But <clears throat> the jury was not impartial. And after these people were let off in the trial, the jury, one of the jurors wrote in the Sydney Morning Herald, I look on the blacks as a set of monkeys, and the earlier they are exterminated from the face of the earth, the better. Now, fortunately, we had a Christian 
uh, Attorney General, a Catholic, devout Catholic Attorney General, John Hubert Plunkett. And he did, as people still do today often with a, in a trial, he found it was easier to make uh, new charges against uh, a fewer number of men and so on. And I won't go into it all, but eventually a new jury convicted them and the judge sentenced them to death. But this polarised uh, the Sydney community. You had those who wrote to the papers saying that Aboriginal people were only monkeys, that they were less than the, the white race, that, um, that they deserved to die. And there are even decent people who just wrote papers, papers and said, well, it just seems that they're not uh, fit to live in the world, they're a weaker race and the stronger races are just ca- taking over and all that kind of thing. But yet the churches, I read you, they were really, really polarised on this. And um, one I haven't quoted from yet for you is um, John Saunders. I said all the, all the denominations, Sydney Baptists. Just prior to the second trial, uh, Saunders preached a very powerful sermon. And his text was Isaiah 26, verse 21. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place, he will punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth shall also disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. And that's a very powerful verse to have chosen to talk about the Mile Creek massacres. And he went on to say something in his sermon quite similar. Remember I told you the Catholic priest, Catholic mm-hmm. bishop, had said that the souls of the Aboriginal people were you know, were of infinite value because they had been purchased at infinite cost. And he was, of course, referring to the death of Christ, which was the infinite cost. Well, interestingly, here you've got someone of the opposite uh, church spectrum from the Catholics, the Baptists, and he says the same thing. This is, this is Saunders again. Do not despise those who sprang out of the same stock as we did. Do not despise those for whom Christ died. The Saviour died as much for the Aboriginal people as he did for you. There's a lot to talk about. These massacres and the response of the Christian churches at the time, it seems to be that the Aboriginal people uh, had a friend in these Christian leaders. But if we were going through massacres from, as you mentioned, when things really started to heat up, around the 1830s, the Waterloo Creek Massacre. You mentioned the Mile Creek Massacre. Uh, that's not far from Inverell in New South Wales. That's there was right. the Guida River. Uh, there was a massacre there. Uh, there was uh, other massacres, the Murrumbidgee Wiradjuri Wars. Uh, then we get into the 1840s. Those things keep going on. Uh, if yeah. you're just, because we're short of time, r- reflection on Tasmania, uh, John, because uh, Tasmanian... Uh, conflict between uh, whites and Aboriginals, very, very well known. Well, there's certainly a concerted effort effort in Tasmania to um, rid Tasmania of the Aboriginal people. Uh, And uh, I think the story is is quite well known. And when there are only a handful, well, I don't know, more than that, 20 or 30 of the... um, what we would say full-blood Aboriginal people remaining, uh, they were eventually rounded up and uh, and put on an island 
and there they pined away and and died. One of the you know, saddest ends of that story is you know, the death of the last women, and the you know and men who know that you know the the, the tribe will never ever uh, be uh, regenerated. But um, of course, we have to respect that through the even though it might have been bad, the awful uh, violation of women, but the consequence of the violation of Aboriginal women is that there still are, of course, Aboriginal people in Tasmania who who have Aboriginal blood and who are proud of that and who are uh, quite well known, I think, in the media in their, in their fighting for Aboriginal rights. But, but uh, Governor Arthur said, a Christian man of Tasmania, that he could not believe that the British would have stained their honour with Aboriginal blood in the way that they did in Tasmania. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. There are a number of calls waiting, and uh, we'll take those as soon as we can. We'll take a short break. Come back in just a moment. We'll take those calls, and uh, and we'll talk some more about this dark secret history, Australia's colonial history, including the massacre of Indigenous Australians and the role of the church as a friend to Aboriginals when these things were going on. Back with more in just a few moments. Our special guest is Dr John Harris this hour. He's the author of a book called One Blood. This is 2020 on Australia's Vision Radio Network. Dark Secrets of Australia's Colonial History and uh, John Harris, Dr John Harris, our guest, is the author of One Blood. Uh, John, let's take some calls and we'll need to be quick with uh, some responses here. Margaret in Northern Queensland. Margaret, welcome along to 2020. Have I got you, Margaret? Let's try Michael from Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Michael. Are you with us? Hello. Ah, who have I got? Uh, I've got Margaret. Margaret. Yes, that's Margaret. Margaret, <laughs> Margaret very quickly, what is your thoughts? Um, I come from South Africa and grew up in apartheid, in the apartheid era, and I can so identify with the Aboriginal people in Australia as this, these atrocities have happened in so many other parts of the world. And the sadness is that the identifying factor was that of colour. Um, and it's so sad that mankind can take it into their own hands to treat others, not only to create them, because I was a part of a, a, a race that has been born because of the black and white association, um, but that mankind can be that cruel to one another. <clears throat> Well, I want to thank you so much for your input today. A quick response uh, from John Harris. Yes, thank you very much for um, telling us about that. Yes, um, that's the awful side of European colonialism, wherever it was. doesn't matter whether it's South America, South Africa, Australia. Yes, it was on the basis of colour. The coloured races were thought to be less than, than the white races and therefore not deserving of respect or care or, or anything like that. And uh, so thank you. Thank you for reminding us of how widespread was this uh, awful opinion. Uh, Margaret from Northern Queensland, thanks so much for your input. Another Queensland caller, Wendy, is in Brisbane. Hello, Wendy. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Wendy, are you with us? Uh, well, we've got a difficulty there. When we talk about these things like massacres, John Harris, and the role that the church had, 
there were so many instances, and you've recorded a number of those, where the church was truly a sanctuary, where people who were in fear of their lives or were in fear of having their children killed or taken away from them, put in the hands of churches or of church missions to be able to protect their children. Yes, that's true. And um, Ray, when he rang up, reminded us of um, Roper River and of the Northern Territory um, and uh, of the Roper River Mission, and it's such a, a good example. I might just quickly mention it because as the pastoral frontier was moving north and west and reached the Northern Territory, um, Aboriginal people were being massacred in large numbers in the Northern Territory, and this was covered up. Um, uh, when uh, I'll give you an example. When Corporal George Montague of the Northern Territory Priest, uh, Police wrote his report saying that he had killed 20 Aboriginal people, uh, he wrote, what, what the other parties have done I don't know, but the natives have received a lesson this time. One result of this expedition has been to convince me of the superiority of the Martini Henry rifle in killing people, both for accuracy of aim and quickness of action. So that's his report. There was a court case, and they said that he was mistaken, um, that he had treated the Aboriginal people with leniency, and there was no evidence to prove that any natives were killed. And the Northern Territory newspapers then exulted and said, isn't this, isn't this great? Um, this shows that uh, our police are protecting us and doing the right thing. Now, this was what was happening throughout the Northern Territory. And by 1908, Aboriginal people along the valley of the Roper River were being shot by the hunting gangs of a large pastoral company called the Eastern and African Pastoral Company. And the Anglican Church Missionary Society... Uh, became aware of this through the bishop of the of Carpentaria, which included the Northern Territory, and they founded a mission on the Roper River, which the local Aboriginal people welcomed with open arms, chose a site for them, and everything else. And uh, over 200 Aboriginal people fled there from about six different tribe or, or language groups, and those. From those 200 people have come all the Aboriginal people of uh, that part of the Northern Territory now. And they went there. I've spoken to some of them um, when they were still alive in the 1960s, Barnabas Roberts, who spoke of the killing of his father, the killing of his mother, the shooting of his grandmother. And he said, if the missionaries hadn't come, my people would be all gone. That's, a, that's an Aboriginal person who saw it with his own eyes. It is an element of Australia's history that ought to be highlighted, uh, given when we talk about Christians and the exposure of the Aboriginal people to Christianity, because uh, without the rise of missionary movement and Christians in those circumstances, as you say, Roper River and, and many others, then there would be elements of Aboriginal population that would have been completely wiped out. Well, that's true. And while you're saying this, and this is something your listeners can get involved in, um, the truth is still not being told about Aboriginal people because what's not being told are the positive aspects of the role of the missions because Christianity and the churches are being written out of the national curriculum. And uh, 
I know some people who are trying to do something about it, but it's very difficult to convince politicians that the, that there should be more attention to Christianity and to churches in, in a national curriculum. And uh, that's one of the big lacks. And so the story of, of the courage and uh, compassion of Christians, which balances in some way the criticisms of Christians, that story is not being told. John, I'm going to have to cut in here because we've run out of time. I wanted to mention your book, One Blood, 200 Years of Aboriginal Encounters with Christianity. People can get that. It's simply Google One Blood, Dr. John Harris, to get a hold of a copy of that. John, it's just a pleasure talking. Let's do this again another day. There's so much more to talk about. Thanks for being with us on 2020. That's all right. It was a pleasure. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.